Uh, for those of you who might be joining us for the first time today, welcome. My name's Dave McDonald, I'm pastor here with SALT, and we've been working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we've kind of arrived at the last chapter, and instead of just kind of dealing with it in a big chunk, and then jumping into 2 Thessalonians, had a change of gears, change of plans, and decided to slow down and just take a, a few extra weeks in 1 Thessalonians, because no doubt, as you just heard that chapter read, there's so many different topics that come up in just a few verses. So we're, we're going to look at a couple of verses uh, each week over the next few weeks. And if you look at the back of your handouts, it'll kind of give you uh, the program as to what's coming up. Um, the topic for today is really looking at the nature of leadership and how you should treat your leaders. It's a very uh, self-conscious kind of topic for me to be speaking on. And I have found it fairly tricky uh, as I've thought about this and thought about how to address it. And I've decided to make it actually a little bit more complicated by adding in some stuff about money as well. Now, we don't talk about money a lot at Salt Church and we don't pass a plate around. And we had a, a newcomer's uh, morning tea today and there were some questions asked about money. And so uh, we're going to pick up on some of that and hopefully it'll serve to give us a biblical window into how to think about these things. Uh, I'd appreciate your prayers, and uh, I'm going to lead in prayer, so why not join with me as we ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will uh, guide us into your truth. Please open our eyes to your word. Keep us humble before you. Help us to see what we can uh, do in trusting you, help us to understand how we can change to serve you. And we pray that in doing this, we'll give you glory. Amen. The whole issue of uh, leadership and how to address leadership is complicated. Uh, my wife, Fiona, is not here uh, this afternoon. She's driving back from Lithgow because yesterday she went to Lithgow to be at the induction service uh, for our nephew, who's the new Anglican minister. Uh, in Lithgow. And interestingly, she sent me after the service a text which included a photograph of the order of service. And the bishop uh, was standing up the front and he asked the congregation various questions. And before he asked them the question as to how they would respond to their leader, he read out these two verses that we're looking at today. And they are, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Now, that was the Bible passage that the church was to put into practice as a new pastor was inducted into that church. So that I think gives us a bit of a framework for thinking about this. There is application for you. There's also application for me. And we'll come at this, both of us, from slightly different angles. Um, it, it's complicated, though, for another reason. And that is the whole nature of leadership in the church has come under massive scrutiny over the last decade or so. And it's right that it should. Uh, so back uh, in, the, in the teens, uh, the 2010 teens, there was the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. And the results of that were absolutely horrific. 
particular churches, denominations coming out of it with incredible, uh, horrible, really, accounts of historical abuse amongst children. And it really did leave scars everywhere. And the church has needed to take a good hard look at itself and to work out how not to let these things happen anymore. Um, It's not just the church, of course. Uh, The media will say it's the church, but I saw some figures during the week. Those in government uh, homes and so on were just as abused as those in church homes. Uh, It's the nature of humanity, not the nature of church. But those who follow Jesus called to a different standard. And we have been saved so that we might live new lives that are transformed by God. Uh, I get a couple of emails uh, each day from different Christian news outlets. And one of them has devoted itself to shining a light on corruption and abuse in the church. Uh, I looked through just this uh, list of emails over the last couple of weeks. Let me read some of the headlines. It, it, uh, trigger warning, these are sad things and they're current. Former missionary sentenced to 25 years for abuse of a four-year-old. Uh, intern at a particular church reports rape and then gets kicked out of the internship for drinking. Uh, a particular church leader being charged with multiple sex crimes against children. A leader at another church uh, linked to a Christian organisation abuse scandal has been charged with child sexual abuse. Uh, A very prominent evangelical pastor's son agrees to repay $367,000 for his role in an investment scheme that defrauded people of $16.5 million. Uh, A particular seminary, uh, that's a theological college in the United States, uh, accuses the former president of that denomination for excessive spending uh, 1.5 million on recent home renovations. Megachurch pastor likely misused position to cover up son's alleged sexual misconduct. And another person compares abuse allegations to persecution, while protesters, protesters pick it outside their church because this person has been charged and accused of sexual abuse. Now, that's just the last fortnight. I could go back over the four or five years that I've been receiving these emails and uh, there are times when I've just got to tune out, like switching off the news and not watching it. Um, and, and when that's going on, uh, it, it's kind of hard to speak up about how you need to honour your leaders when leaders are being so dishonourable. I was talking to somebody this morning and they said that their Bible study had been looking at this passage during the week and it unearthed a whole heap of experiences that people had had in the church that were not good. Uh, And it might well be for you that this has already triggered some things in your own experience. And I'm more than happy to to talk with you, and I encourage you, if there are things that you need to talk about, to do that. But it is important, I think, for us to reframe how we look at this through Scripture. Um, If we're just looking at how to treat people because of what we see in the media, and the media is going to focus on all the stuff that will get people watching and 
buying, uh, then we will not see how God's perspective works itself out. So I just want to move quickly through this and then think about the application uh, for us. And I'm going to take uh, some questions, uh, God willing, if we've got the time as well. So God's plan for leaders, first of all. There's a couple of things that you can pick up just by looking at these two verses. Of course, this is not everything that's said about leadership, but two things here that I highlight. First is that it's to be hard work. You notice there, to acknowledge or, um, or recognise those who work hard among you, uh, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you, um, and to hold in highest regard in love because of their work. Uh, that is, ministry is to be hard work, uh, is to be labour. Uh, there's to be energy put into it. Ministry is not uh, an excuse for laziness. Uh, I remember when uh, I was growing up, my dad was a minister of the Methodist Church, and uh, my friends would make jokes about how, how their dads you know, had to work long hours, but my dad only worked on Sunday mornings. And there is this kind of feel uh, sometimes as we make fun of people in ministry. But uh, those who are going to set aside their time to be focused on leadership, care and teaching, which we'll come to, in the church need to work hard at it. Uh, Paul commends people who work hard in the ministry of the gospel. Um, not overwork, not to become workaholic, not underwork to become lazy, but to recognise the trust from God and work hard at it. And the particular focus here that comes out, uh, in the NIV it says, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Uh, the word for care for you here literally is the word stand before, which gets used for leadership in other places. So it's, it's leadership and a leadership of caring and it's admonishing or teaching, correcting, um, encouraging, exhorting people with the word. So there's both a leadership element and there's a teaching element to that ministry. That's what he's focusing on here. But the purpose in writing this is not to tell the pastors what they should do. It's more to the congregation as to how to respond to the leaders. And just as a little aside here, we know that he only spent three weeks in Thessalonica. Uh, very quickly, it seems that they've worked to get leaders into place uh, so that they uh, can function as a church and, and keep growing together. So God's plan for loving the leaders, notice, is to acknowledge uh, or recognise, take notice of those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and admonish you, so there's recognition there and there's high regard. Uh, hold them in the highest regard, it says, in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Um, I, I had a look into the language here of hold in highest regard because we had some discussion in our uh, group during the week as to how high that regard should be. Well, the Greek word is the highest possible regard. So it's, it's really kind of pushing it. Uh, to recognise, to acknowledge them, to hold them in high regard. Notice, in love. To hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. So to be acknowledging your leaders, to be holding them in high regard, 
uh, to be loving them and then it says to live in peace with each other. Now, I don't think he's randomly dropped a sentence in there uh, that he couldn't find anywhere else for. Uh, and we'll see when we get into the next section that there are two parts, this bit, and then the next bit's different. So I think, therefore, that living in peace with each other is also about how to treat the leaders. So getting on with each other, putting the word of God into practice in how we live as Christian community, because that has a bearing on how leadership uh, respond to the work that's entrusted to them. So there's a number of aspects uh, to this that have to do fundamentally with honouring people who are entrusted with leadership. Uh, who's that in our context? Well, I guess it will involve me. I guess it'll involve various other people. We've got a church council. It'll involve other staff, Emily and Nathan. Uh, it will involve people that you might be in groups with, uh, that are leading your groups. It will probably involve people who are leading ministry teams. In general, it's the way to treat everyone, isn't it? And it, it's not to be, oh, there's people that you reserve uh, your, your bad attitudes for, and there's people that you have good attitudes towards. Now, a gospel attitude to everybody will include those who lead us. And um, I think that's what Paul's getting at here. So an aspect of working out the gospel in their lives will be to, to respond well to those in authority over us. Now, I don't think Paul had ever been to Australia. And so he hadn't realised that we're a bit of a culture of mavericks. And we love cutting down tall poppies and... We love kind of doing our own thing. And so I think it's a challenge for us as Aussies uh, to think into how we can honour those who are in authority over us, those who lead us, those who are entrusted in teaching us. But as I say that, I kind of almost don't feel a great need for this sermon. Uh, because like what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, in the early chapters, you're doing this, so keep doing it all the more. I kind of feel like that's what's relevant here. Um, my experience of being a pastor here over the last four and a half years has been that you have held me in high regard, that you have loved me, that you have worked at being at peace with each other, that you've given recognition and that that has been reflected in a whole range of different ways. Prayer is a big one, by praying for people. Uh, just asking questions and following them up is another one. Providing hospitality and support is yet another. I don't think this is an area where we're failing. So I think it's a case of good on you and let's keep doing this more and more. I won't be here forever, none of us will, but let's be a church that keeps recognising and holding in high regard and loving and being at peace with those who are in leadership. But I want to use um, this platform to explore a related question and that is about um, giving in the life of the church. Uh, this is not totally random. 
to this particular passage because one of the questions that you might naturally ask when it comes to showing honour to people is what does that mean for payment? Um, Does it mean you should pay those people? Is that a way of showing honour? A high regard and recognition, does that transfer across to actually investing in their ministry? So contributing to it financially and so on. And I'd like to have a look at a few verses with you uh, on this front. And then I'm happy to take a bit of time for questions. Um, The first thing that we see here in the verses that I've printed up is in Galatians chapter 6. And I'll just turn up Galatians 6 and read a couple more verses than what I've printed uh, on your outlines. But if you've got your outline there, you might want to open it up and you'll see these different passages. So in Galatians chapter 6, and I'll read from verse 5. Galatians 6, ah, sticky Bible, and verse 5. Each one should test, uh, that's verse 4. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. And he's talking about looking out for each other but taking responsibility for yourself. And then he says in verse 6, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, it's hard to know exactly what he means. It could be uh, giving feedback as to how you've been encouraged by the preaching or the Bible study. That would be a way of sharing good things uh, with the instructor. But it could also be in the area of uh, if there has been a a spiritual benefit, shouldn't there be a material benefit in response, which Paul picks up in another place? Uh, So there's this idea of sharing good things with those um, who teach us. But it's this next passage that I want to highlight because I think it gives some clarity in relationship to both the passage we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians and how that might work itself out financially. So in 1 Timothy chapter 5, to give the context, Paul's been talking about honour that's due to a variety of different people within the life of the church and and how you show them that honour. And then in Verse 17, he says this, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Now, what does double honour mean in this verse? Uh, If you're honouring the widows by looking after them and, and having a list so that nobody misses out on being cared for, you can see that there'd be a practical way there of honour. What, what does it mean for the elders who direct the affairs of the church well? How do you double the honour? Well, I think the clue is in the next verse, where he says, For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. 
See, the word honour and the word honorarium are very closely tied, as you can hear. Honour and honorarium. And you might be familiar with the idea of people receiving an honorarium for work that they do that might not be within the normal course of their work, but it's because of their work, and so they receive an honorarium for that. And I think what Paul's getting at here is talking about not only honouring them in the way that you respond to them and uh, acknowledge them and hold them in high regard, but honouring them in the sense of providing for them for the work that they're doing. Because that's the way he then illustrates it in the verses that follow by saying, for the scripture says, like this is his argument for that, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And that comes from Deuteronomy. And it's, it's an agricultural image. There's the ox and it's, it's doing its work. Surely if it's doing that work, it ought to get some benefit for it by being able to eat. But Paul uses this for the elders who lead the church well. You better leave a bit of grain for them to eat. Um, and then if you go down to the next passage, I think what we see is the underlying principle that Paul's talking about. Because he quotes Deuteronomy again in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, For it's written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in a hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? So I think what Paul's saying here is that God has this underlying principle of, of the worker deserves his wages, which is a quote from Jesus uh, in Luke's Gospel, and he relates that to this passage in Deuteronomy of the ox treading out the grain but being able to receive what it needs in order to be able to do that from the work that it's doing. So in a church context, I think it would involve there being people who might be set aside to focus on leadership and the teaching of the word and the pastoral care that, that comes with that who are actually supported to be able to do that uh, by people providing for them. So if there's a spiritual seed, is it too much to reap a material harvest? So I think that's the underlying principle, but there's also the nature of it being um, a, a partnership or a fellowship. Again, the word fellowship often has a financial aspect to it. So we think of fellowship as something that you do over a cup of tea and a cup of coffee after church, but fellowship itself is a word that means sharing or partnering with, and it does have financial uses. So our son, who's working in Indonesia, received a scholarship to work there, but there's one Australian who received a fellowship to work there with the ambassador. So they're calling it a fellowship and they're paying for all their expenses for the next 12 to 18 months. So again, there's this kind of 
historical background to speaking in this way. But look at how Paul talks about it. Now, this is at the end of Philippians. He says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, and the word share there is the word fellowship or partnership. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared, it's the same word, the fellowship, with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, even for that three weeks, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, he says, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. So Paul talks about a, a partnership, a fellowship, where there's giving and receiving. There's, there's financial uh, giving. There's helping out to those who are in need. There's providing for Paul that's uh, on view here when he's in need. And that's a partnership that can go across in different directions at different times. Um, but notice that he says what, he's, a, he's actually not so much concerned for receiving from them. He's actually more encouraged that they got the idea and followed it through that they should give. Because what he's looking for is not what he gets, notice in verse 17, but what is credited to your account. That is, it's, it's, a, it's actually a reflection of the gospel that they've grasped a mentality of looking to give. Um, now, this, of course, is probably opening up a whole range of things, and I haven't had much conversation about this, so I don't know where everyone's coming from. But I would expect, and, and it came up in question time a few weeks ago, that you might have some questions about how this would work out, particularly to start with, with Paul. Because Paul says in, in a number of his letters that he didn't take anything, uh, that he didn't receive a living from his preaching of the gospel. In fact, he mentions in 1 Thessalonians that he worked night and day so as not to be a burden to them. So the temptation might be to think, well, Therefore, that's the ideal, and Paul's conceding that people might sometimes need to be paid. The reality, however, is the opposite of that. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we don't have time tonight, but you could read through this, the whole of the chapter works at the level of Paul saying that as an apostle, he has rights, he has rights to take a believing wife. He has rights to this and rights to that, but he doesn't use them. Um, and the argument about the worker deserving his wages or, or not muzzling the ox while it's treading out the, gain, the grain so as to provide for those who are in ministry doesn't work uh, for Paul to say, I'm, I'm forgoing that as a right if it's not a right. So he's actually arguing from, I'm going to do something that's different to normal. And he re his reason for doing this, I think, as I look through the, the accounts where he talks about it, has to do with he's a frontline gospel worker and he wants to make sure that he can offer the gospel free of charge. So that it's, it's not the case that people have to pay to come and hear the gospel to become Christians. 
I think that's the gist of what he's saying. Now, what about Paul? I think he's teaching that this is the way forward, but he himself, at least most of the time, doesn't receive uh, from them, so that he, he's got absolutely no grounds for any accusations that he's in it for the money. What about me? Um, I, I thought long and hard about this, but I want to share some stuff about where I'm at and where Fiona's at, because I think it's important for uh, there to be a measure of transparency around this. A um, couple of dangers, however. Um, when a preacher talks about what they're doing, uh, it, it can kind of sound like they're justifying something, rationalising something or patting themselves on the back or whatever. So I don't want to be doing any of those things, but I want to be able to share with you how we think about giving. Um, and it's, it's interesting, the timing on this as well, because... Uh, I receive emails from the first church uh, that we planted and pastored and they sent a message out this week about giving and the pastor of, of that church said, I, I found these words from our founding pastor, Dave McDonald, to be really helpful as I think about giving. And basically he wrote about, this is our model, this is what we do in our McDonald home. We tend to think about giving he said in three areas, it's actually four. So if you might think about it as concentric circles, at the centre of the circle, we, we give to the gospel ministry that we're a part of, so the church. Outside of that, we'll give to mission uh, wider than the church. And then outside of that, we'll give to those who are in need uh, and we'll work out particular ways of doing that. And then outside of that, we'll have some discretionary uh, opportunities for giving as needs arise. So what does that look like? I'm going to give you some figures. Um, what it looks like for us on a monthly basis is on the fourth day of each month, $1,200 comes out of the McDonald's accounts and it goes into the SALT accounts. Uh, it means that on a regular basis, so that's the central thing. Then outside, in terms of mission, it means that $1,000 comes out for one AFES worker, $1,000 comes out for another AFES worker, and then another one. But Sorry, that comes out annually, <laughs> not monthly, if I hadn't changed gears. And then we support people that we have nurtured into ministry with the European Christian Mission, with CMS, with Pioneers, and with SIM. And over the course of a year, that amounts to a couple more thousand dollars. Uh, we have particular charities that we focus on. So something that's dear to our hearts is compassion. And we decided when we first had children that we wanted to support a child for every child that God gave us. And then we've been able to follow that through and continue to do that. Um, so we've, when we had kids at home, we always had at least four compassion children. And we have now been able to support uh, others in the same village. And we've, because we supported in the same village, 
we've been able to invest in other ways with that project as well. We're also committed to uh, the Barnabas Fund, supporting the oppressed church overseas. We're committed to providing uh, for people to hear the gospel through the what used to be called the, the Far East Broadcasting Commission. It's now just the FEBC that does work across uh, Asia. And there's a variety of other kind of mission connections that we've got uh, and particular need connections. We have, uh, you'll probably not be surprised at this, also a particular passion for uh, providing support for both research and people in need with cancer. And so we'll give money to a number of cancer organisations, but we've done some research on that as to where to give and where not to give in terms of the balance of how much goes in particular directions. Some of them I could get no clue on how the money was spent. So, And then there'll be various things. And I'm always preparing for there to be various things in June because it seems that every mission organisation and Christian organisation has uh, an end of financial year, year appeal. And so we, we kind of think there'll be areas to give there as well. One more thing in terms of us um, and our giving, that is, uh, I've been working for kind of four to five days paid for the last three, to, three years and two days before that. This year I'm paid to work full time uh, but I also do mentoring on a day and a bit most weeks. And the income from that uh, has gone into the sold accounts and Barb actually sends out an invoice for that. Likewise, last week when I spoke in Sydney, there was an honorarium. It was $3,000 uh, because they knew that it was taking up at least a week of the church's time, probably two. And so they paid that through to salt. So I just want you to know that, that. some of you might... Um, look at us and, and think, you're pretty wealthy, Fiona and I. She works as a doctor three days a week. I work as a pastor. You're right. We actually are pretty wealthy. Uh, I remember when we started out in ministry and Fiona was, wasn't working. We had little kids and I was working for AFES and getting paid two months behind. We weren't very wealthy and neither of us had come from families that had wealth. But um, over the years and particularly over the last few years without the needs of children and so on in, in direct ways. And now that the, uh, the, the what's it called, the, the pharmaceutical benefits scheme now paying for my drugs, uh, it's, yeah, it's a lot, lot easier for us. So I wanted to share that with you so you know what we're doing. But the key thing is that we want to give, and some people have, some people in ministry have thought, isn't that really weird to, to kind of give to the church that pays you? Isn't that dumb from a tax perspective? You're getting taxed, you know, money comes in, it's given in. And No, I think, I think one of the big things in 1 Thessalonians is Paul saying, um, follow my example, look at my model. And so I'm just sharing that with you. Um, I want to encourage you to give uh, to the work of the gospel. I want to encourage you to give in partnership in this church. Um, it's not just supporting staff. There are all kinds of things. We pay rent on this place. We, we provide suppers. Um, we, we put money into children's programs. There's professional development in different areas. There's all sorts of things. 
And so I want to encourage you to give. Finally, I'd like to read these words from Jesus. Luke 21. And uh, I'd like you to think about you. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. Sorry, out of her poverty, she put in all that she had to live on. Jesus commends generous, sacrificial giving. That's what this woman does with two small coins. And I want to encourage you to think uh, about how much you've been given by God. We, we live in a, in a wonderful time in history, in a wonderful part of the world. We enjoy incredible benefits of clean water and safety and a whole range of other things. But more than any of that, we've been redeemed by Jesus at the cost of the life of his son. And God has poured out generously he who was rich became poor for our sakes, that we might become rich. And so think about being people who display gospel-driven generosity uh, to others. I might leave it there. Um, we've got a bit of time for any discussion or Q&A um, or comments or objections or stonings or...